following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about something in the book of Deuteronomy called Cities of Refuge. As I hinted a few minutes ago, this is a sort of bizarre concept. It's a little bit weird. When you read about it, you'll, you'll see what I mean. But I do think that there might be something in there for us. And uh, so what I want to do is look at Deuteronomy 19. You can read along with me if you'd like, or you can just listen, whatever you prefer. If you use a red Bible, you're going to go to page 153, and I'm going to read um, the first several verses from chapter 19. Let me read the first verse and pause, and then we'll move on. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you have dispossessed them and settled in their towns and in their houses... Here I will pause because I recognize that that sentence is quite disturbing. It's sort of distressing what is being described there. If you think of that as godly behavior, that's, that's a little bit strange. And I recognize that. I'm not going to preach on that right now. But I don't think it's quite fair just to breeze past something so dramatically kind of troubling and not even acknowledge that I feel the same way as you when I read that sentence. But. Here's the commandment that follows after you've taken control of the promised land. Uh, Verse 2, you shall set apart three cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall calculate the distances and divide into three regions the land so that the Lord your God gives you, the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession, so that any homicide can flee to one of them. Now here in this text, the, the the, the noun homicide is used not for the crime, but for the person who commits the crime, and it's going to be defined in the next verse, right? It's not what you probably think of when you hear the word homicide. Now, this is the case of a homicide who might flee there and live. That is, someone who has killed another person unintentionally when the two had not been at enmity before. Suppose someone goes into the forest with another to cut wood, and when one of them swings the axe to cut down a tree, the head slips from the handle and strikes the other person who then dies. The killer may flee to one of these cities and live. But if the distance is too great, the avenger of blood, in hot anger, might pursue and overtake and put the killer to death, although a death sentence was not deserved, since the two had not been at enmity before. Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And then it goes on uh, in the verses that follow to describe what to do if the territory is enlarged, you need to have more cities of refuge so that there's always a city of refuge that somebody can get to in the event that they commit one of these accidental crimes. Now, once again, this is a little bit bizarre, okay? This is sort of weird, right? Um, this whole thing, very detailed, specific example. Say you go in, it's almost like the person writing this had had this happen to them. Let's say just, just a hypothetical, you went into the woods and, and you were swinging to cut down a tree. Maybe it was a maple tree. I don't know. And the, uh, right, and the axe handle flies off and hits the person on the right side of their head. Just again, hypothetically. Right? It's very specific and kind of weird. And then like the implementation of these laws, how does that relate to us? It can be difficult to take uh, these ancient texts and make any sense of them for ourselves today. Um, In addition to being ancient, they're also displaced in geography. They're from another part of the world than we live in. Uh, And they're from a different religion. This is a Jewish text. 
we are reading it in a Christian context. Now, of course, Christianity is born out of Judaism. There's a close relationship there. Um, but the reality is this, is this, this commandment, this, this rule, this provision is really hard for us to, for us to apply. And so before I try to apply it, I want to just review for you um, uh, some of the ways that I have proposed that we read these types of passages from the Bible. All right? So the first, the first one, the most important one, the one that I hope you all remember whenever you read anything in the Bible, but particularly perhaps these troubling Old Testament passages, is that we read these ancient Jewish texts through Christological lenses, okay? That's a fancy way of saying that we, we look through Jesus to see this Jewish text, okay? Um, my, uh, my internet pastor, Brian Zahn, said, I believe in the infallible, inerrant word of God, and his name is Jesus. Jesus perfectly reveals the heart of the Father. And so anything that we read in the Bible about God that doesn't sound like the Jesus that we see in the Bible, um, that means that there's this, this disconnect is an indication that we need to do some deeper study to try to make sense of it. Right? Case in point, uh, right after this book that we're, we're finishing up today, the book of Deuteronomy, what happens next in the chronology of the Israelites and in the chronology of the Bible books, as it turns out, is that the leadership of the Israelites is handed from Moses to Joshua, and Joshua... Uh, leads the people in war, in battle, and slaughters lots of people. It's extremely troubling um, for those of us who follow Jesus, who said that one of the greatest commandments is that you should love your neighbors, not, not kill them. And who also said, even more alarmingly, that you should love your enemies, so that, that's work that we would have to do with the text if we're going to read these stories with Christological lenses, again, which is to say through, the, through, the, the, through Jesus. But the second way that I think might be helpful to read these texts is a little bit more subtle, and I have mentioned it once or twice in the course of this series, but perhaps you weren't here when I did. And again, it's subtle. So let me try to explain this, this second way that might be helpful for reading these old texts, these Jewish texts. Um, it's the idea that it's important to remember that there is no new nation that has taken the place of Israel as God's elect chosen people. So the, the Israelites, this this family, this nation that, that grew to be great in its time, is the, the nation through which God wants to bless all the other nations of the earth, right? I've, I'll, make you, I'll bless you so that you may be a blessing. That was the promise given to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And sometimes you hear people nowadays saying that our nation, their own nation, in this case the United States, uh, is is the new nation that's called to carry God's blessing into the world. That our nation is the chosen nation now, and that it's been especially blessed by God so that it can be uh, the, the mediator of God's blessing in the world. And that's not right. It's not the United States who's called 
to carry God's blessing into the world. It's not any nation on earth that's called to carry God's blessing into the world and to be the chosen elect people. Right? It's the church. It's the Christian church, which, to use the language of the New Testament, has been grafted in, this is an agricultural metaphor, to the root of Israel. We, the Christian church, capital C, globally, have been grafted into this mission. And it's the church now that uh, carries that out into the world, not any particular nation. And uh, today is Christ the King Sunday, as I mentioned at our time of confession. And we as Christian people, regardless of the nation that we live in, look to Jesus as our King, which means that we are his subjects, just as uh, Egyptian Christians are his subjects and Chinese Christians are his subjects. We uh, covenanters are his subjects. The Methodists are his subjects. The Coptic Christians, the Catholic Christians, the Orthodox Christians, yea, even the Baptists, (laughs) are all subjects of the King, Jesus Christ. And it can be helpful when you're trying to read these old texts and you think of the way that, that God is working through the nation of Israel to remember that we've been grafted into that calling, not, not to displace them or replace them, but to join into that, um, that great um, responsibility that God gives to his people. So does that, I hope that's a helpful um, way to kind of read these old texts. But what on earth does that have to do with the idea of cities of refuge? Uh, okay, so that's a good rule of thumb, perhaps, but how do we make any sense of that for this particular topic? Well, here's what I'd like to suggest. That if the global church, the church with a capital C, if you will, is uh, carrying out the role of Israel, um, carrying God's blessing into the world, I think our church, artisan church, might be one of those cities of refuge, kind of on the outskirts, if you will, a place where people can flee when they are feeling the hot pursuit, often of people who are part of the the community of faith, let's be honest. A place that that maybe in some ways is a little outside the mainstream. Now, I I don't say that regarding our doctrine. When we say the Apostles' Creed together, that is the bullseye of Christian orthodoxy, right, with a little O. That is the center of what Christians everywhere believe, right? And we say it and we affirm it, and it it defines who we are. That's That's the closest thing you'll find, by the way, to a statement of faith at Artisan. I think it's enough. But as regards some of our other stuff, we might be a little bit out of the mainstream. We might be a little bit off the beaten path. We might be one of those cities of refuge that's, that's on the edge of the community. And the nice thing about being placed on the edge of, of the community is that you are a place where people from within the community can flee when they're being pursued. And you're a place that people who are not yet in the community can sort of stop and have this, this, this gentle entrance into the church. By the way, 
remember that the, the people who were fleeing to the cities of refuge were ultimately innocent of, of wrongdoing, right? In the, case, in, the, in the kind of weirdly specific case of the, the person with the axe, that person was not guilty of murder. He's, the, the person's called a homicide, um, which is a weird term, but the text is clear that he didn't deserve punishment. The reason he's being pursued is because humanity has this never-ending, unquenchable thirst for vengeance. And we want to mete it out on somebody, somewhere, for some reason, just about every day. We want to get our revenge for something or another, don't we? And of course we don't want to minimize the, the loss of life. Somebody, that's, if, that, if, that, if that was my relative who, who died in that way, I would be very upset. But the, the crime was, if, uh, was nothing more than, than carelessness, right? And I don't think it's a capital offense. The text doesn't think it's a capital offense either. Thus, these cities of refuge have been set up. So there are people um, within uh, the Christian culture. Maybe they're raised in the church. Maybe they're children of, uh, of the church who, for one reason or another, are being pursued, are being driven away from the church where they grew up. And uh, every church has its own unique calling. I'm not trying to say that we're like the coolest of all the cool churches, but I am saying that I think one of our jobs as artisan churches is to be a city of refuge for people who are being driven out unjustly from the church of their childhood. And if we can do that, then there's all kinds of, of uh, children, if you will. Maybe they weren't children of the church but we want to help them know that they are children, beloved children of God. And we're on that edge. I think that's our unique calling. Now let me stress once again, I am so over the our church is the coolest church in the world thing, right? Every church has its own niche. Every church has its own thing that it's going to be really well equipped to do. Some churches do a better job than others of living that out. I am not trying to say that... that we're like the coolest church in all of Rochester or something. What I am trying to say is that God has given us a unique opportunity to be a city of refuge for people who are being pursued unjustly. My favorite compliment that anybody ever pays to Artisan Church because of the virtue of the fact that I'm the pastor, they usually come and say it to me, but it's a compliment for all of you, is they say, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. I couldn't, get, I couldn't go to church anywhere. I just did, it was a, an, a square peg in a round hole until I came to Artisan. Right? I got an info card once that said Artisan was my last chance church. Warms my heart to this day to know that for, for some people, this is the place where they finally find sanctuary, where they finally find safe harbor. And so if you're seeking God and you've come to this place, you need to know it's okay if you have problems. It's okay if you have uh, issues. <laughs> you can be in a personal or spiritual crisis. You can be fighting addiction. You can be angry at God. You can be agnostic. You can be intermittently uh, atheist. You can be uh, <laughs> indefinitely atheist. And something draws you here. 
You can have big questions. You can be wallowing in your own sin like a pig in filth. And what my deep hope is that all you will receive here is not judgment, but what you'll receive here is an extension of God's grace as expressed by Jesus throughout the Scriptures. And what I hope you'll receive here is a setting where the Holy Spirit can speak to you, can heal you, can convict you if you need it, can guide you, and can unite us all as one body. I hope that that's your prayer for our church as well. May it be our truth, and may we uh, each take our own part in making it true. Let's pray together. God, we so desperately want to be a city of refuge, a shelter for people who are facing the storms of life, who uh, tragically have been driven out of the, the face of their youth. And sometimes that happens in adulthood too. May we all take on this responsibility to be uh, a safe harbor, a shelter from the storm. May we, in doing so, extend the grace of Christ in which we place all of our trust and in whom we place all of our trust. Amen. I want to invite you now to come and receive communion. We have an open table at Artisan, which means that you don't have to be a member here or anywhere, for that matter, to come and partake of the bread and the wine. Um, You simply have to be saying, I want to follow Jesus. I trust in Jesus enough to get up out of my spot and come up to here and, and receive what he has on offer, to sit at the table of the Lord. And so, you can come and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice and remember Christ's sacrifice and receive food for your souls and be unified with each other and with Christians around our city and with the church globally and throughout time. That is how big this miraculous sacrament is. And it's that to which I invite you now. So, let's uh, continue to sing and worship God Our table's open. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.